in that moment, you don't hesitate. You don't yeah. think. And, and, and I asked him, I said, why, why did you do that? And his, his only answer is like, you were injured enough. I didn't want you to be injured yeah. anymore. And I, it's it hard to understand rational right, sense, right? but I, it, it's what yeah. we do. I am so excited to bring back onto Unbeatable my guest, Michael Carasquello. We call him CQ. And the first time he was on the show, he talked about this incredible moment when he was shot five times and should have bled out on a battlefield in Afghanistan. Well, on this episode, you get a chance to hear that long, hard road to recovery. And I'm not just talking physical recovery his even harder road of emotional recovery. And what you're gonna hear is this dude really is unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. CQ, man, it is great to be back with you. You are my first official guest that I've invited back on the Unbeatable podcast. Yeah, this is this is awesome. I really appreciate it. I, I it really is a huge honor. It is a huge honor. I thoroughly enjoyed our first conversation. Uh, you ask all the right questions, and um, I had I had people reach out like oh, I didn't come on before. Man. I, no, before I didn't even have a chance to promote. They're like, oh, I'm gonna be on it. Like I had people reaching out to me like, oh my god, I heard your voice on the really? Unbeatable podcast. Yeah. And so uh, it was it was great. I mean, people are listening. So yeah. That, that, that's awesome. Well, they're listening to you because you've got this voice made for radio, first of all. I mean, you got this pretty amazing voice. And secondly, your story just blew me away. I appreciate it. I mean, it's it, it's weird. Like, it's something I never get used to hearing. I do hear it a lot when when people drag it out of me and, and hear yeah. the story. I, I, I get that a lot. Like, oh, it's so inspiring and heroic. And like, to me, it's not like, it's just, it's just some, it's like, if you said, oh, I went to the grocery store and then I picked up my mail and like, it's just things that I did and had to deal with. And, you know, I, I don't know any other way to do it. Yeah. And, and honestly being fortunate that I served in one of the most amazing uh, units yeah, out there, the absolutely. most uh, uh, decorated, you, you know, most living medal of honor recipients yeah. of all time. Like I saw people doing incredible things. And so, so to me, I'm like, it's, I don't know. It was just a job. Like yeah. I just did my job, you know? Well, for you, it's going to feel that way. But for other people that are listening to your story, they're going to be like, this dude is amazing. Or I like to use the word unbeatable because I really do think you are, man. I, I appreciate it. I, I try. I try to live up to it now. Yeah. After, after talking to you, I try oh, to live up on. to it. <laughs> hey, so I don't want, we're doing this for the first time, man. So I'm just trying to figure this out as we're going along. But I don't want the people that are following this podcast to have to go back and redo the whole first episode with you. If you missed the first episode with Michael Carasquillo, we just call him CQ around here. You're welcome to go back and check that episode out. But without having to go back through the whole story all over again, can we just do like the real quick highlight reel of why did you join the army? Uh, basically tell us where you were on September 11, 2001, when the planes hit the world trade center and why, how that led you into the U S army. Let's just sure. start there. Yeah. We're going we're to do a lightning round recap of the first episode, That's right. which if you haven't listened to the first episode, how dare you? Yeah. First of all, right. first of all, yeah. how dare you have missed it? Um, but no, uh, you know, I was born and raised in New York city. Uh, spent my whole, you know, young adult life there. Uh, I was a senior in, in high school when nine 11 happened. And so I was, I was there. It was very personal. It was a personal for everybody in America, but 
being in the city, being near ground zero, it was extremely personal. Um, it was terrifying. It was all the things. And uh, it said in my mind that when I finished high school, like I wanted to enlist and I wanted yeah. to join. So um, basically immediately after, after graduating high school, I enlisted, I entered what was called the delayed entry program. Um, so it took a few months for me to get, you know, through the process. Uh -huh. But by January of 2003, I was uh, in the army. I, I enlisted for uh, airborne infantry fun. And, uh, you know, cause I wanted to get out there. Yeah. I wanted to get some, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do, I wanted to be on the front lines. Uh -huh. I wanted to do my part. And so, uh, basic airborne or basic advanced infantry airborne school immediately gets sent to the 173rd airborne brigade, which is based out of Vicenza, Italy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which was considered for a long time, the dream assignment until about 2003 right. when yeah. they got deployed every single yeah. year. Um, so within weeks of me getting to Italy, I found my, you know, this is weeks after graduating basic and in and, and, and airborne school and weeks of getting to, to Italy. I am now getting dropped into Iraq yeah. and, uh, did, did, uh, uh, almost a year there, a uh, couple close calls, but made it relatively okay. And spoiler and alert, he survived. He survived. Yes. And, um, Went back to Italy. We were there for a year training for our next deployment, uh, which was into Afghanistan. I made it about six months through that year long deployment before I was wounded. I was shot five times yeah, uh, and, during combat operations. And before we get into the uh, summary of that firefight that really uh, almost should have cost you your life. Um, I want to just point out to listeners who are around the world, if you were alive, you probably saw the news footage of the attacks in the United States on September 11, 2001. Literally the whole world saw this. Most of the people in America remember exactly where they were when they saw the planes fly into the buildings and saw the buildings tumble to the ground on TV. I'm pointing this out because Michael didn't watch it on, didn't need to watch it on TV. He's growing up in the city and it's happening right next to him. And I've met many guys and gals like you, Michael, who were so impacted from New York city that they just put their life on hold and said, I've got to, I've got to serve my country. Didn't necessarily ask for war, but I've got to go serve my country because of what just happened. And I just, I try to say this every time I get around a Patriot, man, thank you for what you did for our country, just being willing to leave high school, join the U S military and uh, become an airborne infantryman. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. It, it I, I know it's a, it was a choice, right? I wasn't drafted or anything like that. And, uh, but it's weird because it, to me, it wasn't a choice. Like, it's like, I had to do this. This yeah. was a calling. This was, uh, there was no, uh, there was no plan right. B. There was no other right. option for me. So yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I just, man, I just want to honor that in you. And so, uh, you guys, the listeners just heard his, a brief bit about his time in the U S military, joined the military, went to his first unit. N not long after that got sent over to Iraq because the U S is right now in war in Iraq and Afghanistan and heavily committed in both of those countries. You do a deployment to Iraq, come back, you are getting ready for the next go around, which is going to be in Afghanistan. And this time around, you're going to go over there as a little bit more of a leader. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously going into Iraq, completely green. I mean, uh, green to a, to a whole new de degree, because yeah. not only 
what this is this is really the country's first invasion in quite a while right. um but i hadn't even served with my unit you know basic is great you learn the basic things you know and advanced infantry okay you learn to shoot some guns and, and be accurate and but i hadn't served with these guys i yeah. hadn't trained with these guys i didn't know these guys and so being dropped into the middle of a combat zone uh with a with unit people, that was already over there right yeah. yeah. And, and it, it, it was, it was a, it was a steep learning curve yeah. and it took a while to gain the trust and respect of my peers. But, you know, fast forward uh, almost two years later when we're, when we're on the cusp of going to Afghanistan, then yeah, I was, I was in a much better position where I was ready to lead troops. And, and I had people looking to me as the experienced combat yeah. grizzled vet. Um, when I, you know, I felt like I was like, right, 20, just... you're a 21 year old, uh, yeah. very senior <laughs> dude. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was a, it was a different experience. Um, uh, but one that I was, I was, I was suited for, I felt good in it. I felt confident. Um, and, uh, I was ready to, to do my part. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to minimize what happens next. I really do want to tell people you got to hear the whole story. And if you missed his first episode with me, please go back and listen to this incredible story of his combat deployment to Afghanistan. But let's just fast forward to the firefight. You're on the ground, you're under fire. And you just mentioned already shot five times. Tell everybody really quickly what happened from the time that the helicopters landed to the time that you're getting back on helicopters and hanging on by a thread for your life. Yeah. So we, we had been doing a, a combat mission for a couple of days and I go into much more detail the last time we talked, but suffice it to say the, the enemy had kind of figured out what we were doing and laid an ambush for us. Mm -hmm. And so as we came in on the helicopters, as soon as, the, as soon as we hit the ground, they had opened up on us. Uh, they had the high ground, they had the element of surprise, but fortunately we have the training, we That's have the right. weapons, we have the equipment, we have the support. And so, uh, immediately upon hitting the ground, one of my teammates was, was struck in the leg and was basically immobilized and kind of caught out in the open. I was behind cover and saw that they were still, they were still actively shooting at him. And, uh, you know, just, you don't, you don't hesitate. That's you don't right. think I just, I couldn't let him stay out there. And so I ran out to him, grabbed him and was dragging him back to, uh, what I perceived as cover and, and concealment because it was a little chaotic. Didn't know where it was coming from. It happened so fast, but, um, in the process of dragging him, I was shot twice and then, uh, got him back to, to safety and went to re-engage the enemy. And, and in the process of, uh, doing that got shot two or three more times. Um, it's hard to say exactly when yeah. bullets hit you, right. but more or less what we can put together is, um, you know, and, and then, so within minutes I'm, I've been hit, you know, four or five times and, uh, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they're throwing grenades at us and shooting rockets at us and, and firing at us. And uh, very fortunate that my team is experienced and and we've been through this drill before. We know what to yeah. do. Everybody did their part. Um, and I had a guy immediately, you know, uh, start working on me. Uh, we didn't have medics with us at the moment, but we had myself and another guy were what we called TLS trained combat yeah. lifesaver. Uh -huh. So he's, you know, he's, you know, putting, getting ready to put tourniquets on and, and patch bullet holes and, um, all the while, you know, in the midst of a gunfight. And luckily we had um, two Apaches on close air support. So they're providing cover. And uh, it, it was it was chaotic. It was chaotic, yeah. but uh, everybody did their job and, and did what they were supposed to do. And uh, very fortunate that I had this guy working on me immediately because 
one of the bullets uh, had gone through my shoulder and then exited my back and was a very, very, very large hole. And so um, had that not been immediately addressed, I probably would have bled out before yeah. I could even got right. to the, the helicopters. And so he had, you know, patched me up uh, as best as he could immediately. We called in for a medevac. They luckily we had really good trauma medics. It just happened yeah. to be with us that, that, uh, that mission. And so within minutes, they were putting me back on, uh, they, they run downhill far away from the gunfight. Um, and they got me to, to a black Hawk where, uh, we had a, like a trauma, a really good trauma medic on there. And he immediately just yeah. starts ripping off clothes and working on me. And, uh, yeah, uh, very fortunate that, uh, that I didn't die that day because with the extent of my injuries, I, I probably should have died within 10 to 15 minutes of being injured. And, and that was about the range of time yeah. that I was able to have, you know, two sets of hands on me to really right. buy me the time I needed to be, uh, to be patched up and flew back to the base and immediately right off the flight line, there's a little mud hut. Cause like, you know, we're not one of these big bases. We were this tiny little OP out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, and, and so this little mud hut trauma center yeah. that they had put in, um, which I have pictures, man, I got to send you the pictures of me being worked on and guys in like the blue paper scrubs oh, yeah. in yeah. a mud hut. Um, and you know, they're, they're up to their elbows trying to keep you from bleeding out. Oh man. Like we're, there's no imaging, no imaging. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they ripped me open yeah. in many different places to just find out what was going on because that, that they didn't have the access to the, the, the kind of equipment that could have right. made things cleaner and nicer. Yeah. But uh, that's why a lot of my, my scars are real, real Pretty jagged. gnarly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they just, it's rip and pull. If and you're going to have a scar, it might as well be gnarly though. Really? <laughs> yeah. A little, little Frankenstein, yeah. but uh, it's all right. Um, but yeah, so very fortunate. They, they saved my life. They did incredible. Uh, the things they can do in, in, in the worst of conditions. Uh, it, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, so very fortunate and, and yeah, I spent the next, you know, I was, I, I, I was unconscious for three days. They flew me to Bagram, the main base in Afghanistan from there to Germany. Uh, there's a launch uh, regional medical facility yeah, there. Medical hospital there. Yep. They, they, they basically told me like, you are way too like, jacked up dude, for us to do anything. Up. So, so they basically encased my body in like a, like a, uh, just for transport, like you're shipping something fragile. They just put me in a body cast and then shipped me from Germany to Washington, D.C., where uh, Walter Reed Army yeah. Medical Center. And I spent the next two years of my life recovering uh, 44 surgeries. I actually died twice. They had to bring me back yeah. twice and um, eventually got medically retired after that time. Yeah, on the highlight reel from that last episode, I hope people are hearing right now, these weren't just flesh wounds. I mean, any one of these can't, could have and should have killed you. This is how incredible the medical care was. But there was a moment in that last episode that I don't think I'll ever forget, man, when those hand grenades were coming in and that um, buddy of yours was working on him where he probably could have died, should have died, you should have died, because those hand grenades are going off and you, you remind, or you tell everybody in that last episode that he jumps across you literally to sacrifice his own body to save your life. And that's the kind of, um, you know, loyalty and commitment that brothers and sisters in arms have with one another in combat. It's a, it's a moment that I heard in that, that episode with you that I don't think I'll ever forget, man. It's powerful. 
Yeah, it, it like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> to this day, I'm like, I'm already wounded. He hadn't been wounded. And you're the probably idea... gonna bleed out anyway. So why yeah. even bother, right? Like, in fact, I wouldn't have been mad if he used my body as a shield <laughs> to, to keep the shrapnel off of him. And no, in, in that moment, you don't hesitate, you don't yeah. think. And 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 I asked him, I said, why? Why did you do that? And his his only answer is like, you were injured enough. I didn't want you to be injured yeah. anymore. And I, it's it hard doesn't to make rational right? sense, right? but I, it, it's what yeah. we do. I say that for people that are like, I don't get it. And the truth is I don't get it, but people do it all of the time in, in combat. It's incredible. And um, those are moments that'll stick with you to your dying day. Absolutely. The reason I, we talked about this just briefly a second ago, the reason why I invited you to come back on the show is because we really discussed your combat deployment. We discussed your road to recovery and you just said it a moment ago, two times in those two years, you should you died and they were able to bring you back. Lots of surgeries, lots of experts doing everything to keep you together. So what I'm stressing right now to, to the listener is, hey, this guy was physically about as beat up as you can get in combat, quite literally. But yeah. we didn't talk about the wounds that you carried on the inside. And by this, I'm talking specifically about post-traumatic stress about the psychological and the emotional wounds that almost everybody that goes to combat carries with them to some degree. Some guys and gals, a lot of wound, other guys and gals, a little bit of wound. And you definitely struggle with some of that, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. So now I want us to slow down, pump the brakes a little bit, and let's talk about the road to emotional recovery to psychological recovery, man. Cause that road, in my opinion, is almost always longer and harder to travel than the road to physical recovery. Yeah, you know, it, it it's true. It doesn't get a lot of um, press because it's not as sexy. Uh, when you see a guy leg blown off, you know, burns like big you Frankenstein get it. scar. It's yeah, pretty easy you, to see you that. You get one. it, right? It's physical. You can see it. Uh, you can treat it, right? If you got burns, there's grafts. If you got missing leg, there's prosthetics. You broken bones, we can, you know, poles and rods. So there's this this thing about the physical wounds that we can see, we can feel, we can, you know, sense, we can treat, we can see progress. When you talk about the mental wounds and 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 those mental scars and the things that stay with you emotionally. And psychologically, it's so much harder. Yeah. I, I can say this having struggled with both tremendously. Yeah, this guy is an expert in both worlds right now. <laughs> I'm a subject matter expert in both physical and emotional pain. It is so much harder to deal with the, the emotional than the physical. Because the physical, I can say, this hurts. This hurts, fix this. And there's treatments and there's things and, and you can, re you can see the recovery yeah. and you can see the process, but when you go, this hurts. Yeah, when here. you, when you can touch something physically, you can tell a medical professional, this thing is not right. I need you to help make it right. But when it's emotional, you can't physically touch it. So even identifying what hurts is mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you say is even identifying what hurts is hard enough, let alone getting the professionals around you that understand what hurts and how to treat what hurts. Yeah. It's and and it's when you talk about you know PTSD or just mental health, and it is such a spectrum that 
it, it it's so hard. What I struggled with because in excuse me, I got injured in 2005 and medically retired in 2007. PTSD wasn't the thing that was like, it was that, that shh, nobody talks about yeah, it kind of thing. Yeah. And, and we're not going to, but even the guys that knew about it n- knew it as the, the guy that gets hyper aggressive and blackout drunk and he's uh-huh. doing pills and he's doing, but that wasn't me. I didn't identify that way. Like I, I was struggling with depression, isolation, anxiety. I, I didn't want to go out. I didn't want, I, I, I didn't drink. I didn't, punch my fist through walls. There are guys that like, that's a side of the spectrum and and that's, you know, that happens. But for me, I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to be seen by people. I didn't, I withdrew from life and having to understand that that is PTSD as well. And that is, you know, something you're struggling with. It's hard to identify. And sometimes the voices in our heads, the ones that are telling us like, you're a freak. You're not you're normal. messed up, dude. You're don't don't up. tell anybody yeah. this. You can't, you can't tell like, they're going to lock you up. They're going to, you know, you're crazy. And they're going to take away your belt and your shoelaces. If you tell anybody this. Exactly. And so it, it's, it's the hardest thing. Like it's so much, if I break my arm and it's dangling there and I can go, look, it's broken. And we can all see that. And, but when you say, man, I, I think there's something broken inside of me and I think I need help. It It's so hard and especially especially when you have these ultra macho guys these combat vets these combat operators who like we're trained hey man if your arm gets blown off i can throw it in your bag and put a tourniquet on it tighten it up with your teeth and keep on figure it out you know i mean you drive on you rub some dirt in it you drink water you drive on take a knee at best you know what i mean but it's so hard to overcome that that kind of stigma of the mental health and to, and to be able to talk about it and be on a human level. We have good days. We have bad days. We have good thoughts. We have bad thoughts and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to ask for help. And if you're struggling in a way that, that you can't overcome it and that's okay. And it took me years, years, the, the, the physical stuff, couple years, you know, I got as good as I can and I just maintained. Yeah. But the mental stuff took me years to truly get a handle on it. Well, Michael, when, when I started this show, I, we started talking to people about some of their greatest challenges, the most difficult moments of their life, how they faced them, how they overcame them. I didn't anticipate the amount of people that would talk about their mental health challenges that went along with it. So, man, what you're saying right now just goes along with almost every uh, this. uh, This show has basically become people talking about their mental health struggles as well as those situations. Anyway, yeah, what you just described is what I call the moment where a guy really finds courage. And I'm talking about courage deep inside because you just described for us, hey, I got something wrong inside of me, but I don't want to say it because I'm I'm afraid that's why I call it courage. I'm afraid of what other people are going to think about me. They're going to call me a freak. They're going to, you know, uh, uh, they're going to lock me away in a padded cell if I tell them what's really going on. So it takes real guts, man, to just simply say, man, I messed up and I need some help. And I messed yeah. up on the inside. But I want to go back and just ask the question, you, were with, you weren't the guy that was punching holes in a wall. You weren't the guy that was drinking yourself into a coma. You weren't the guy who was driving at 900 miles an hour down the interstate or 
uh, you know, polishing a high powered rifle because you're getting ready to kill a whole bunch of people. <laughs> For you, it was very different. So when did you, how did you realize, man, I, I'm not good and I need help. Like, how did you finally identify something's not right here? Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. And, and by no means that I do it on my own at all. And I, and I, so you had a bunch key, of people telling you, dude, you're messed up. <laughs> the key is like, that's the thing. Like it, it, it's, it's the, you can't do it by yourself, but so I for hope me, what people happened just heard was, that, but maybe they missed it. Cause they're driving. <laughs> Say that one more time because people need to hear that a second time. You, you cannot do it on your own. You I hope can't. you just heard this that. Is not, this is not, if you are, if you're in the midst of mental health issues, problems, concerns, they, that's all, that's all like you've, I don't want to say you've lost control, but if you could do it yourself, you wouldn't be yeah, having those issues. That's right. right? Mental like health issues literally you demonstrate that you're not able to fix these on your own. Exactly. So, so for me, what happened was, you know, I medically retired at 2017. They say, Hey, you're as good as you're going to get. Yeah. Maintain, sit, you know, take care of yourself, whatever. And I say, Hey, great, man. I'm 23, 24 at the time. And I'm, I'm retired. I'm I can just good. sit here and whatever. Um, and I didn't know what to do next. And so I, I, I bought a house out in the woods in Pennsylvania, right? Cause I'm a city boy, but I'm like, I'm going to get away from the city and I'm going to basically, I'm going to get away from people is what you were I'm saying. I'm going to get away from people. Yeah. Exactly. I had like two totally neighbors in like a 10 mile radius. Yeah. And, um, so I'm out there and the, and I think sometimes the, the reason it's so hard to identify a mental health problem is that it doesn't just one day and like I'm the worst I've ever been. It's this gradual, slow, it's like gaining weight, right? Yeah. Like where you like, you gain a pound here, you gain a pound there, and you're like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Next yeah, thing you know, you're going to another belt. Just go to another belt loop. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like that's how mental health is where it's like, it's just this slow progression. And every step of the way, you're convincing yourself that like, ah, I'm fine. I'm just not sleeping well. Oh, I'm fine. I just, I just need I a just couple booze people. to, oh, to yeah, to to get calm. And oh, hey, like it, it just gets worse and worse. And so, from 2007 to 2009, I was just slowly pulling away, slowly uh, retreating into myself, slowly, you know, not. I wasn't making friends. I wasn't. I was just. It, 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 it's just like the world was slowly, like my bubble was getting slowly yeah, smaller yeah. and darker, um, until it was just me. In this tiny little bubble, there'd be, there'd be weeks where I didn't step foot outside my house. Luckily, my wife took care of me. She did all the shopping and things because I, I, I would literally just pace around my house. You know, I'd be the guy that, you know, 3 a.m. I'm doing patrols inside Whoa. my house. You wow. know, triple for the 10th time in yeah. a row, checking the, checking locks, the locks, checking the yeah. windows. Um, and it was it was getting bad. And, and my wife, God bless her, didn't knew that I was in trouble. I knew I was hurting and was doing everything she can, but she's not a mental health professional. Right. She, she can push and she can, but you, the, the biggest obstacle is identifying it in yourself first, because no matter how many people tell you oh, yeah. there's something wrong yeah. until you can say, Oh man, there's something wrong. Like it, it's never going to work. Um, it, a lot of times, you know, you drag someone to an intervention you drag someone right. to a, a thing. Like you could why drag doesn't a horse it stick? to water, right? Exactly. Why doesn't it stick is because they have to identify that there's a problem within themselves to want to change. Yeah. And so it took, it took really getting, I was headed down a really bad path. I mean, really, really bad path. And it, it was just a really lucky situation. I had heard from people like, Hey man, 
you know, you need to come out. Hey, you need to do this. Hey, you I'm like, nah, it's just not for me. And that's not who I am. Even though that's who I've always been, I couldn't recognize that that's not who I yeah. was at the moment. And so I am um, very fortunate in an organization, Wounded Warrior Project had reached out to me and they had captured me because I went through the system and I was injured. And so they, they knew I was an injured vet and they, they would call me and be like, Hey, come out to this event and come out to that event. I was like, nah, that's not my thing. That's not my thing. And finally, this one guy goes like, he's like, Hey man, I call you all the time and invite you. You never want to do anything. Like what, what would get deal, you out of the right? house? Yeah. Like what, what, what wouldn't like, what would make you get out of the house? And he ran through this whole list of things and we ended up getting around to like football. And I was like, oh, yeah, I am big football fan. And he goes, Oh, you ever been to a game? I said, no, I, I grew up poor, man. We never actually went huh. to a game. And so he's like, Hey, well, if I get a, if I get a, I'm going to get a suite, bring out a bunch of guys. Like, would you come out? And, and I was like, well, shit, I mean, free sweep yeah, who football wouldn't, game who wouldn't say yes to that one like okay and so and so that got me out and that was kind of the first step because i got to be around like and i didn't i didn't even talk to anybody at the of game course not. i just watched the game I, but you know we all you know us guys like we're always hyper vigilant uh -huh. really listening to everything and so i'm just listening to these guys and girls talk and talk about what they're dealing with and and it was weird it was like they're talking about PTSD and they're talking about uh, uh, medications and they're talking about what their doctor said. And like, I'm like, how are they, how do you do that? Like, how do you just publicly Let it out talk there like that about these, these things? And I was intrigued and terrified and horrified. And um, you know, and then, and then, you know, I met a guy and he's like, Hey, you should come out. We're going to do this thing. And, and it was weird. And then it took a little while, but then I went to another event. And then I went to another event and it was, it was at the third or fourth event that I met this guy that really changed my life. What and was his name? Funny. First name. Yeah. Ed. All right. Was Tell Ed. us about Ed. Uh, great guy, man. Really great guy. Unassuming guy. Just, you know, just seems like another, another vet. Um, he is, he was somebody that had been there on nine 11, right. which, which I found out about later and which, which is, I think gave me a connection with him. Um, but, but it's funny cause what drew me to him and this is an honest thing is that, uh, he had a service dog. And at the time <clears throat> I had never, I'd never seen service dogs. Yeah. I mean, obviously had dogs and cats, whatever. And so like watching, and we were at an event and watching this dog, like the way he maneuvered and the way it was just so almost military, like uh -huh. the dog stayed on his hip and it pivoted with him and it, and it did all these things and it, it had all the commands. And I was just, I was riveted, I was riveted by this dog, but I was also withdrawn as I always was. I was the wallflower, right? I'm, I'm not with the group. I was kind of off on my own. But Ed noticed that, that I was struggling. Like he know he could feel that I was in, in a good place. And, and he said, he told me, you know, later that, that he noticed that my eyes were always on his dog. And so what he did was he positioned himself in a way that he kind of was near me, uh -huh. but with the dog between us, yeah. almost like tempting me. So you could me. get close to the dog. Yeah, yeah. Like tempting me in a way Smart. of like, Hey, engage me. And, you know, finally I was, I asked him some questions about the dog and hey, he started talking and that, that guard came down and, and he really engaged me in a way that nobody had engaged me. And he started asking me questions and, and these things. And it, it felt very intrusive at first, but I kind of, you know, we, luckily the event was like four or five hours long. And so we talked a lot over that time. And, and eventually at the end of it, he goes, goes Hey man, like he, he wasn't pushy or anything, but he's like, Hey, like, let me get your number, man. Let's, let's, let's link up. Let's talk. And, and I'd done four or five of these events <clears throat> and always, and everybody's always nice, but you like, you never see those yeah, same people again. Right. So yeah. I was just like, I was like, yeah, nah, we don't need to do that. He goes, no, no, no. He like grabs my cell phone. He texts <laughs> himself. And 
Um, and then over the course of the next couple of weeks, he would text me and we would have conversations. And I just, I was so fascinated by this guy who had so many of the same experiences as I did. You know, he was in, he served in the army, you know, he, he was in nine 11. He, he was actually from New Jersey, but he was national guard and was activated yeah, for nine yeah. 11. And so, and so like he had all these similarities and he, he started winning me over with this idea of like, he goes, man, I, you know, I think you're, I think you're struggling. It's like, I, I think you, you should talk to somebody. And I go, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing fine. And he would ask, he's like, you know, are you, are you sleeping? Okay. I'm like, nah, but you know, us combat guys, we don't, we're used to not sleeping a lot. He's like, oh, well, you know, do you go out? Do you have a lot of friends? I was like, nah, I, but I, I don't, I don't typically like people. That's what it is. And like, I was making all these excuses yeah. and then he would be like, dude, and you just he could read off. right through them. Right. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, dude, you checked off every box for PTSD. Like you checked off every single one. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not Maybe good. I'm messed up. Yeah. Thanks, and so, Ed. yeah. And so with his, with his help and he kind of guided me through the process and like, I, you know, I had like a, a, a primary care doc that I would see like once every two years, whatever, uh-huh. but like through his help, you know, I got like a social worker and a caseworker and started seeing mental health services and, and, you know, spending more time with him, I would watch him talk about truly horrible things. You know, he, he having, he was there in nine 11, he yeah, was yeah. going through rubble and he's like, he's talking about these horrible things he saw. And I, and I, I had never really opened up about my combat service. I'd never talked about my injury much and it, watching him open up. It, it truly baffled me how he could be so vulnerable and, and willing to share. And I asked him one day, I said, why do you, why do you tell every person you meet like all your problems? And he, and he goes, well, it, it's like, it's like I have all this baggage, like you're physically carrying baggage. And, and when you share that story, you're, you're handing and you're saying, can you help me carry this baggage? Like, can you help me lift this weight? And it was such a simple, you know, metaphor for it. But I, I was like, nah, man, that's that bull. Like, there's no way it doesn't work that way. You don't just talk and yeah. feel better. Like that's ridiculous. And He's like, well, try it out. And, and, and so like, I would, like, I first opened up to my wife and I would start to tell her these you know stories and things that I'd gone through and everything. And, and that made me feel better. That, that took some of the weight off. Yeah. And, and then I would be at events and, and talk to specifically, you know, combat grizzled vet, like people that had oh, yeah. seen yeah. the same thing. So I know they're not going to judge me because they've seen the same thing and I felt better. And then I it just slowly, it was a progression over years but got into a place where I felt comfortable sharing and, and it became a part of my therapy. Like I have a therapist and I have, I was on medication and things like that, but being able to open up and have yeah. these conversations yeah. changed the way I felt about myself and changed the way I saw the world. And, and um, yeah, and it, and it became the, the, the launching you know, point for everything that came after the, the, the humanitarian stuff, the, the charity work, all this stuff started from a place of just being able to talk about what I went through yeah. and open up that way. Michael, one of the reasons why I call you unbeatable is not the wounds and the long road to physical recovery. Man, you really are unbeatable because PTSD has overwhelmed plenty of guys and gals from the military. And I mean, it's overwhelmed it to the point that they're no longer the same person. They're incapacitated. They cannot live the life that they lived before combat. They've it's radically altered them so much and it can keep people there for the rest of their life. If you don't reach out to help, one of the things I love about you, man, is that you have the courage to reach out 
and then starts the road, the hard work of the road yeah. to recovery. But man, I didn't even know about Ed. Truth is, if it wasn't for your wife, because I really do think the spouse plays a, uh, if you're married, your spouse Huge. plays a big role here. Well, the, the role may be saying, dude, you're not okay. And maybe you think you're okay, but I know you and I know you're not. But I also didn't know about Ed, man. And I really think there are some times that you need a guy who's, or a gal who's already gone down this road to look you in the eyes and say, you're not okay, but I'll help you go down this road. Like I'll go down this road with you. Yep. And if it weren't for a guy like Ed, who knows where you'd be right now? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can say without, without question that I most likely wouldn't be here today because I, I was heading in a very bad direction and, and it had not the right people and right organizations and right support been in place. Um, I easily could have been a statistic easily. Yeah. And honestly, the statistics right now about the guys who take guys and gals who take their own lives because of their emotional and psychological struggles is through the roof right now. I don't yeah. want to spend the rest of the episode talking about veteran suicide, but I do want to say one of the things that makes your case even more impressive is you didn't have those um, very violent, very um, socially disruptive um, habits that would make people around you grab you and, and kind of force you towards some treatment. Right. Yours was very um, not mild, but yours wasn't as dangerous to others around you, which is sure. sometimes could be worse because people don't know just how serious it is because it looks like the guys, uh, the guys handling it, but inside, you know, you're not. And I, and I want you to it's talk. It's less in your face, right? It's less yeah. in your face. It's less obvious. What I, I was dealing well, with. I was yeah. going to say, I want you to talk to that guy right now or that gal right now who's saying, look, man, I don't drink myself to death. I'm not taking a bunch of pills. I'm not about to drive my car off a bridge, but you know, and they know they're going down a dark road and they're just doing it in a subtle way that others around them can't see it. So what, what a piece of advice would you give them right now who are heading down that road, but they haven't got to the point where they have somebody like Ed in their life? Yeah, it, it, it's so hard. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it's so hard because I think we are best at fooling ourselves most of the time because I, I truly believed I was fine until it was slapped in my face. And, and it, it, it was, it was like, I'm, I'm a very logical research yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. So like when it's like, here's the checklist for PTSD, you've checked off every box. <laughs> here's the list and you are the poster boy for it. Then it was, then it was like, Oh, like, I mean, I can't argue the facts. So I do understand it's so hard, but what I could say is if you have people in your life that are telling you, you are more withdrawn than you've been, you are, not going out as much, you aren't participating as much, if you are uh, uh, not sleeping well, if, if, if these things sound, you know, if you're, if you're sad most of your days, right? We just say, oh, I'm just a little sad today. It's not a big deal. But if you're sad more like than you're any other feeling, yeah, yeah it, then, then, then get help. Get to, it, it doesn't even matter if you're not sure if you're struggling. Well, talk to somebody. Yeah. Talk to somebody Sometimes we're not a good measuring stick, right? Because I go, well, I'm sad, eh, but no more than anybody else, but I haven't talked to anybody right. else. So how do I know that? Yeah. Um, and then you realize, well, no, you shouldn't be sad more than a couple of hours in a day, uh -huh. um, in a week. So yeah, talk to people, open up, share what experiences you've been through. You don't have to be a combat wounded veteran right. 
to have mental health issues. Yeah. There are, I, I know many people who have served and, and, and maybe not even in combat, just the stress of being uh, moving base to base and, and leaving your family. And like, that's enough to, oh, yeah. to shake up most people, you know, to be uh, yelled at a basic. And like, these are all things that like scar us little, yeah. little, little, little scars in your brain. But um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with admitting that, you know what, maybe I, I just need a little bit of help. Maybe I just need a, a push or a point in the right direction. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And the best, and the, I think the most important step that you're hearing from CQ right now is the first step is just saying, man, I think I need some help. I need to tell somebody that's the step that leads you to become unbeatable. Cause if, in, as long as you keep it to yourself and try to figure it out on your own, it's just going to go from bad to worse. Yeah. One of the things I like about you, man, is that you were able to literally laugh at the pain, uh, laugh at the difficulties. And I mean, quite literally turned it into a comedy routine and some stand up. Um, so tell everybody kind of how you got into um, stand up comedy and uh, what that finally, how did that finally start to develop for you? Sure. Uh, it was a long road. I mean, it was a really long road because, you know, being injured in 2005, I didn't really find comedy until like 2016. Yeah. So and plus 11 you years. You didn't like being around people for a long time. So that <laughs> makes it that's even true. longer. That's true. And, and as someone who still struggles with social anxiety, the thought of being on a stage with lights on you and yeah, just people judging this. you. And one guy and standing up there with a the microphone. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. But uh, how I got there is once, once I got into a pretty good headspace and I was talking and seeing therapy, uh, the in between that and comedy came um, just once I, I realized I was isolated, like I wanted to do more things. I wanted to have more experiences. Uh -huh. I wanted to re-engage my life. And so I, I started just, you know, researching, you know, things I can do. And, and obviously I didn't have a lot of money. So reaching out to organizations that are like, Hey, we'll take you scuba diving and Hey, we'll take you fishing and Hey, we'll do this and we'll do that. And just like, switching my mind like because my head's always saying like no don't do anything no say no so just going like i'm gonna say yes any opportunity that comes along i'm gonna say yes i'm you gonna try it jim carrey and the yes man <laughs> the yes man yes i, I was you know it, like i wasn't into nascar but like hey do you want to be in the you know, sit with the pit crew on a nascar race i'm like i've never been into nascar but yes i'll do it you know hey do you want to go to a baseball game i was like i'm not a big baseball fan but all right screw it i'll do it and just saying yes to all these experiences and, and talking with people and so that also led to me doing a lot of um, charity work, right? Working yeah. in a soup kitchen, working Habitat for Humanity, and just saying yes and opportunities. And and I, I, every step of the way, I was building myself back up, and I was I was getting more confident. I was getting more um, just back in touch with my life. <clears throat> and so uh, it got to a point where I started attending a, a support group for wounded veterans. Right. right, it was just uh -huh. connecting with other guys and trying to leverage what I've learned and, 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 and listen and leverage what they've learned, right. To, to make my life better. And it was at one of these meetings that this guy talked about, Oh, I just did this program. It was incredible. It's an arts program. And they have this thing where they teach you stand up comedy. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. And like, I, I was a fan of comedy all my life. And, and before my, my head rewiring, like I, I'd loved comedy and I loved you know, doing that. I was in, I was in plays when I was, when I was in high school, I would do the musicals and the plays and the comedy plays. And so I, you know, he talked about it and he said, Hey, it's for veterans. And it costs nothing. And I'm like, that's my favorite price. Uh, free is my favorite price. So 
I looked them up. It's this program called ASAP, Armed Services Arts Partnership. It's It was based out of D.C. at the time. It's, it's spread more now, um, and uh, which was not far from me at the time. And so I was like, okay, let me sign up. It's a six-week class. You do it once a week, six weeks, and they teach you the fundamentals of comedy. They don't write jokes for you, but they teach you, like, what is funny? Why is it funny? What are the rules? The rule <laughs> of three and the exaggeration. what is funny. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and then they help you kind of build a set, and then at the end of it, you graduate with this big graduation show. You 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 go to the DC Improv and you perform oh, for a cool. live audience. And um, to me, when I did it, it really was a kind of checking it off the bucket list. Like I'm going to perform stand up comedy this one time, and that's it. And then I'm going to move on. And it's just like when I went scuba diving, yeah. just like when I I climbed a mountain, like went to uh, NASCAR just, one time. Don't ever need yeah, to do it again. It's just exactly. I had the experience. I've checked it off, and. Through the process, I absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. Oh my God. The just just being around other vets, making each other laugh, and and the you know, uh, writing material and, and using my life experiences, but in a way that I can I can I can control the narrative, I can restructure things, you know. Uh uh when the drill sergeant said that one thing to you and like you just sit there and took it, but yeah. no, in my version, you know, you you snap back at him and so like you get to play with the reality of it and it was so much fun and being able to walk up on stage which was one of the as a combat vet as a guy who jumps out of airplanes and shoots people for a living that's like, intimidating right stepping out on stage in front of an audience was one of the scariest things oh, yeah. i've ever done absolutely in my life yeah and so and, and honestly i blacked out i don't remember <laughs> it I, there's he, video on of stage it. he literally blacked out and they had to come throw I, water in his face <laughs> like I, I don't remember any of it like i stood on stage i did the thing and and I walked off stage. I I have no recollection of doing it. I, I have the video of me doing it, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Um. Because it was just such an adrenaline rush, and um, I fell in love with it. And so I, for the next like two years, I, I took every chance I could to perform and wrote new jokes and did showcases and got to host some shows. And then, very fortunately, just got invited to do really cool things. I performed at Gotham in New York, the up and coming uh, uh comedians uh scene in in New York, uh -huh. and. Uh, um, I perform for Jimmy Carter. He, his wife, Rosalind has the, the Institute of caregivers. They had this big gala and they're like, Hey, we're going to invite veterans to do comedy. Wow. And so I, I did that. And, uh, um, I, I entered the world series of comedy and I made it to the top 40 of the Northeast. And before I could do the next performance, which if I had done well, would have sent me to Vegas. Uh, my wife was due to give birth to yeah. our son, so yeah. I had to pull out. You bombed that one on purpose. I yeah, I had to, I had to, uh, I had to recuse recuse myself from the the, the competition at that point. But um, so I've, I've had a really lot of fun doing the comedy thing, and then that's what eventually led me to doing my little entertainment yeah. podcast talk show. Um, so it's been a fun ride. Yeah, let's talk ride. about your podcast. Um, in fact, um, I've saved this for the end. I really want to do this high five segment. You know how this thing goes, man. For the listeners, we're going to go back and forth a little bit. And I want to wrap up with this. For folks that are listening to this and not watching it, in the set behind you, you got all kinds of superhero, all kinds of sci-fi gear because of your podcast. Tell everybody about it. So it's called Pop Culture Warrior. And like... No offense to any of the podcast hosts. I, I hate calling it a podcast because it's such a weird conglomerate of things. 
it is live. We do it live in front of an audience. It's streamed, so it's video and audio. We do release it as an audio-only podcast uh -huh. after the fact. Um, but it's it's a talk show. It's a game show. It's, you know, I interact with the audience. I take questions. I take callers. I, you know, it, it, I interview uh, people from all around the entertainment industry, stuntmen, directors, actors, producers, uh, guys who, who have done amazing things. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's just it's a really fun show to do. Um, and yeah, it's it. I, I don't know, man. It, it's just a lot of fun. It's to me, it's not a job. It's it's something that I look forward to each and every week. We've built an amazing fan base. It's yeah. on Facebook. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitter. It's on Twitch. Uh, we have our own website, WTFNationRadio.com. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, nice. it's, it's, everybody that's been on has always had a blast. We just, a week or two ago, we did, we roasted CQ. Like I had a bunch of comedians come on and they all took turns roasting me and nice. we had a blast doing it. I want to tell people to go out there and check it out. Pop culture warrior. I've uh, seen some of the the episodes that you've done and man, it just looks like if you just want to have some fun and learn a little bit about pop culture or even make some fun of pop culture, CQ's podcast, pop culture warrior is the place to be. So let's wrap up with a high five segment and we're going to kind of uh, go out on a high note. Um, sure. I want to talk about superhero movies. Uh, let's talk about, because you could do this for literally for days. Um, it's what I do, it's what about, I do every week. Let's talk about some of the worst and some of the best superhero movies. I'm going to give you kind of my scale of from worst to best superhero movies. And I want you to just add some color comedy in there because you got this thing down um, to a science. So sure. worst on my scale of superhero movies is Shazam. Not that the character or the um, superhero itself is bad, just the Let's be honest, man. There's got to, there's not going to be any Academy Awards on that one, right there. Yeah, yeah. No, Shazam. Sh <laughs> that, that's uh, that's yeah. That. Hmm. Like, so let's be clear. Are you talking Shazam, the DC property that was uh, Zachary Levi was yeah. was the, uh -huh. the titular role? Yeah. Okay. Because because there's also like the Mandela effect that people right. think there was a Shazam movie that was done by Shaquille O'Neal years ago, but that's right. Or um, Sinbad. <laughs> so you um, know a whole lot more about it than I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'll be honest. Shazam was what to me was mediocre. There are way worse, way worse movies. Okay, so maybe the next one on my list, which I consider just a half a step up from Shazam, was way worse for you. It's the old cartoon movie, Flash Gordon. You know, the one that came out like in the 1980s. I don't even remember when that movie came out, but it was uh, like a live action cartoon thing. I don't even know what, what you would call that movie. but uh, Yeah, that's that's the, the one with, uh, wasn't that uh, Ralph, Ralph Lundgren? I don't know, man. That movie that came out. Dolph, and, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, that God, movie was, Ralph. I don't even know what to call that. Thing. Yeah. If if I'm if I'm giving anything as like worst superhero movie, I'm thinking Halle Berry Catwoman. That movie was a train wreck. Had you you might as well not even call it Catwoman. Like it had nothing to do with the DC property. It it it, it the writing was terrible, the acting was terrible, the costumes were terrible. Oh God, worst. By far, by far. Okay, so then let's uh, move it to number two and three on my list because now it starts to get good, and I mean really good. And I'm kind of mixed on this one. I'm a DC Marvel person both, so I don't know which is better, Endgame or Justice League. That's two and three on my list. Where would you put Endgame versus Justice League? <laughs> Come on, man. Oh man, you're the expert here. Tell me where these two rank yeah, together. I, I don't. I don't mean. I don't mean any any insult to anybody about anything, but. No, Endgame go ahead and insult and them. That's, you, you can do that. You're, you're a comedian. You can insult people. 
Endgame is probably one of the most perfect superhero movies ever created. And and it's hard because it's not just built on itself. It's built on 10 years of the Marvel universe, right? So it's, it's not really a fair assessment because it's a, it's the culmination. It is the, it is the, the pinnacle, right? Of this, of this, of this whole story arc that took 10 years. Uh, Justice League was a, was not a good movie. It was not a good movie. There, there are, I love some of the actors. I love some of their solos. You know, the original, the first Wonder Woman was great. Uh, Superman was great. Uh, Bringing Ben Affleck as Batman was, was not bad, not bad. Um, But just the writing and the story was, it was not good. In my opinion, it was not a great movie. Even when they, they redid it with the Snyder cut version, like, it made it a little bit better, but it's like a four hour, six hour movie or something yeah. like that. Like, so it's not, again, it, you're not comparing apples to apples. Um, th- there's some really good movies and DC has made some really good movies. The, the, the suicide squad that just came out was not bad. Um, I don't, I don't know, man. I, Avengers is a very, 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 very good movie. Uh, well, in my opinion, Dylan, who's right here in the studio is saying, absolutely. Say you you got a, an opinion on this one. Yeah, Dylan? I'm a huge DC fan. I love the DC comics. I have like a billion, yeah. uh, like new 52 green lantern comics and a bunch of other mm. stuff, but Marvel just does movies better. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're a cinematic universe. I don't think it comes like so, close to yeah. for DC. Now, now to DC's credit, you know, you look at some of their animated properties, Oh, they yeah. have some of the best, you know, in, under the Red Hood, and like they have some incredible, incredible uh, 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 Flashpoint when they did the Flashpoint Paradox, amazing animated stuff. Why can't they translate it to to live action? I don't know. Well, you but know, they seem to struggle. You know, you got the Super Dogs or whatever it's called coming out pretty soon, so it's, maybe they'll redeem themselves with that yeah. one. Not. <laughs> all right, here's number one. My favorite. Uh, superhero movie of all time and i have to mention this because i'm looking at you and it's hanging on the wall right behind you it is the first captain america man i am a big fan of that movie just because this is the ultimate underdog movie right so mm. that for me is number one on my list yeah no it, it is a very solid choice very solid choice honestly you know and i'm a big i mean i have the the spider-man tattoos I and things like that so arm. i mean i'm a huge spider-man fan but if I honestly had to really say what was the best movie I've ever seen done was actually the second Captain America, uh, Captain America Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. Yeah. The the story that you don't feel like you're watching a comic book movie. You feel like you're watching a, 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 a this this mystery, intrigue, drama, romance, like action. Like it just it hits. It checks every box. And honestly, I think like the the, the Marvel Universe followed suit every movie after that just got better yeah, and better yeah. so I, I feel like that was the launching point of like really where we are with marvel movies and and man they killed it with oh, that yeah. movie. absolutely well i'll just say this one of the reasons why Endgame is number two on my list is just because you get a chance to see captain america pick up the hammer and start throwing the hammer oh, man. And i'm like that's it that's the scene right there that's what i've been waiting for oh, for 10 man. years I, I get chills. I get yeah. chill. People screamed in the audience when that happened. Yeah. Like, when have you had that in a movie theater yep. where people scream so loud you couldn't hear the movie because of how awesome that scene yeah. was? That scene was cool. Hey, dude, I have been looking forward to this. I, I, I'll say it again. I mentioned it at the start of this episode. You're the first guy I've invited back because you're so amazing and because you're unbeatable, both physically but thanks today for describing for everybody that that emotional struggles that you went through and how you demonstrated that you were unbeatable emotionally too, man. I'm proud to have you back on the show a second time. 
Okay, and I can't wait to have you on my show. Yeah, I'm going to do it. We're going to do this, and we'll just figure out when it works out, all right? Let's do it, man. Awesome. Have a great day, man. We'll see you. Hey, you just heard about Michael's incredible show. I don't even know what you call it. More than a podcast called Pop Culture Warrior. If you want to check that thing out, we're going to put the link to it in the notes to this episode. Hey, by the way, if you found us for the first time, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media? You can find us just about anywhere by searching at Unbeatable Podcast. And if you've been listening to us for a little while and you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and just tell everybody how awesome this show is. I would love to stay in touch with you. So we created an email list. All you got to do to get on that list is just give me your name and your email address by going to unbeatablearmy.com. We'll stay in touch with you about what's coming up with future episodes and tell you a little bit more about the stuff that you didn't get a chance to hear from previous guests. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time on the next episode of Unbeatable.